I, uh, that's really cheesy. Just going to throw that out there. It's the third time I've seen it today, and I still cannot deny how cheesy that is. But that being said, I really like cheesy jokes. Like, I will tell the same cheesy joke over and over. I'm going to try really hard not to walk in front of that since it's down here. Um, like, someone laughing at a cheesy joke that I tell will absolutely make my day. Like, I'm cool with that. And it doesn't matter if they've heard it a million times. And it doesn't matter if it's a pity laugh. Um, I'm, I'm cool with that. I don't care if it's that kind of laughter that's totally insincere. If you laugh at a cheesy joke I tell, I'm a fan of that. I, I, and so because of that, I retell the same cheesy jokes over and over again. And I laugh at them even if I'm the only one that laughs. For example, I will never stop telling this joke. You ready? Some of you maybe have never heard this before. It's always exciting when somebody hasn't heard it. Two guys walk into a bar, and the third one ducked. Nothing? No laughter? They walked into a door, smacked into a bar. Oh, come on. Ah, There we go. Somebody A a bar, like, they hit their head. Not a bar word now. See? I like that joke. It's funny. Um, So that being said, there were two young boys visiting their grandmother's house. And as they always did at their grandma's, they knelt by their bed to say their prayers. And the younger boy started shouting his prayers loudly. He said, God, please send me a Nintendo and a new bike. And his brother kind of cut him off. Like his older brother you know, knows more. Cut him off, kind of elbowed him. And he said, why are you shouting your prayers? God's not deaf. And he said, I, I know he's not deaf, but grandma almost is. Prayer is one of those things for us, one of those things that we know is good. We know that prayer is a gift and a privilege. We, we know that, that being able to converse with the God of the universe, it, it's a big deal. But we don't always know how to handle prayer. What I mean by that is we don't always know what to say. We don't always um, know if what it's okay to ask for or what it's okay to be thankful for. Like, have you ever wondered if it's okay to be thankful for a certain thing in a prayer? Like, we're never really sure. And so we worry that we might say something wrong in a prayer, or we might not start the prayer correctly, or we might not end the prayer correctly. And even if we go to Scripture to try to gain a better understanding of prayer and, and how to pray and, and all of that stuff, there are times when even Scripture can be a little bit confusing for us when it comes to prayer. And if we go to other people for help, sometimes they mean well, but they don't really understand prayer any than we do. Sometimes they, they, to the extreme of this, sometimes we even twist the Scriptures about prayer and really about other things to mean things that they don't mean. And, and so that's what we're going to talk about through this whole series over the next several weeks, um, is scriptures that a lot of people take out of context and twist to mean something that it doesn't. Because one of the most twisted and misused scriptures in the Bible, you saw it in the video to start with, are actually the words that Jesus spoke as recorded in John 14, beginning in verse 13. It says this, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And so if you take those two verses and you pull them out and you say, this is, this is all we're going to talk about, it sounds pretty good. Like this sounds like a legit system where if I ask for something, if I pray for anything in Jesus' name, it's going to happen, and it's that, it's that simple. And so if you pray in the name of Jesus to get the job, you'll get the job. If you pray in the name of Jesus to get the girl or to get the guy, you get the girl or the guy. If you pray in the name of Jesus to win the lottery, then you'll win the lottery. And just like that, that quickly, a lot of us would have to raise our hands and say, wait, wait, that's not how this works. That's not how 
any of this works. It's like the insurance commercial with the old lady who doesn't understand Facebook, and the, her friend just looks at her and goes, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Because if you think about that list, you know that, that those things don't happen, that if you pray for the lottery, that doesn't mean you win the lottery. And, and some of you would say, I've prayed for this job to work out, and I didn't get the job. And listen, I don't want to question anyone's faith. That's not my job. It's certainly not my goal. But there are people who absolutely positively believe that everything they ask for in Jesus' name will be given to them. And to those people, I have to ask the question, has that always happened for you? Because in truth, when I meet someone who interprets those verses that way, I I, I want to deal with them like the old lady in the commercial. I, I want to look at their life and say, haven't you seen that this isn't really how it works? And so again, not, not trying to be hard on people who, who, who misinterpret this scripture because I know that there are scriptures over time that I have mishandled. But it can be a very dangerous thing to do, especially with a topic like this. So what I want to do today is, 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 is kind of twofold. I want to start by giving you a really simplified version of, of how we learn to interpret scripture. But then I want to take those, those things we talk about and apply them to these verses. And so the first thing we need to understand is we have to understand the context. We, have, we, we learned this in elementary school. Context clues help us understand things. We want to know what the verse in question says, but we also want to look at what came before the verse in question, what came after the verse, who wrote the verse, who it was written to, what was the theme of this whole section of Scripture, not just these verses, what was God trying to say through this particular author in these particular verses. There's really a million questions. I know there are a lot of them. But we need to answer as many of them as possible to understand the context of a given verse. We don't want to just pull a verse out in the middle of a passage and try to squeeze that verse to apply to our situation. That's a dangerous thing to do. We all do that sometimes. I've probably even done that in sermons. But, and it doesn't make us bad people or, or heretics or anything like that. It just means that we still have some learning to do when it comes to interpreting Scripture. And so that starts with context. The second thing that's important is that we need to interpret scriptures by using other scriptures. This is extremely important because I've heard it said this way, the best way to understand the Bible is with the Bible. If there's a passage that you don't understand, find another passage on that same topic or that applies to that same area. If you take one verse from scripture and build your whole belief system or whatever you want to call it on that one verse, that's not going to work out so well. Especially if you're in like Leviticus or something like that. But if you take that verse and you look at what other verses say about the same subject or the same idea, you begin to build what I would call a life theology. Our beliefs based on what we learn from all those verses on a particular topic. So if you look at all the verses on prayer, that's how you gain a good understanding of prayer. One verse verse often needs more verses for clarification purposes. And then the third thing we need to do is to apply what we learn. It's one thing to just read it. It's another thing to figure out the context. It's a whole other thing to, to, to look at what else is in Scripture about it. But if we then don't use what we've learned, what's the point? If we only ever see the Bible as something to be studied, we're not looking at it right. Because it's God's Word to us to be lived out. And if we aren't planning to try and live it out, I'm not sure why we'd take the time to, to try to properly interpret it anyway. Applying it to our lives is the ultimate goal. So let's take those three things and apply them to these verses. So here's the context. Let's start with the context. Who wrote the book? John. That's easy. 
This is one of those that isn't a trick question. There are some of those. John, John wrote John. The theme of the book. Well, most biblical scholars would state the theme this way. John, as he was writing this book, was trying to prove that Jesus was the Son of God. That was the theme. That was his goal in writing all of this down, was to prove that Jesus was the Son of God. And he shows that at the very beginning. In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And the Word in those passages, the Word is Jesus. And so that's John's entire purpose in writing this book, is to show without a doubt, to prove to those that would later read, that Jesus is God's Son. Now we're specifically in chapter 14. It has its its own context. Chapter 14 is a chapter where Jesus essentially tries to prepare the disciples for what's coming next. Basically what Jesus is doing in, in John chapter 14 is he's telling his disciples, hey, I know I've told you this before, but I'm going to tell you again, I'm leaving and the Holy Spirit is coming. That, that's the goal. And so in truth, this chapter is not about prayer so much as it's about Jesus making preparations for the future for his followers. And yet I think we, we read that passage as if it was mainly about prayer. But in the greater context, it's not. And, and, and when we read those two verses, who, who did we view as the main character in those verses? The truth is, on some level, we probably read that with ourselves as the main character. I pray, I get what I pray for. We, we thought about what we could ask God for, what we could get by asking in Jesus' name. Even if we only thought about it a little bit, we thought about it. But we're not the main character in these verses. God is always the main character in the Bible, not us. So I want to reread those verses with a little bit of better understanding of context. 13 14 again. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. You see, the reason that God answers prayers here is important. And the reason is not so that our lives will be better and not so we could have more money, not so that we could have the house that we've always dreamed of. The reason that God answers prayers, the purpose, according to these verses, is so that God, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Answered prayers are for the glory of God, not for the betterment of our lives. And so how we read this and how we understand this in really any verse is, is important. Now that we have a little bit clearer understanding, I, I want to share with you why this is so important that we understand these verses. If you surveyed pastors across the country, this country especially, uh, across denominational and non-denominational lines, pretty much any church, and you ask those pastors why people walk away from faith in God. And I want to make a clarification there. I don't mean leave a church. Okay? We know a lot of people leave one church and go to another. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who have walked away from their faith. That one of the main reasons they would tell you that people walk away from their faith is a misunderstanding of verses just like these. I prayed for it. I believed it. He didn't do it. Therefore, he isn't real or he doesn't care, or he's not good. And you've probably known someone who has, who has made that jump and said, I prayed for this, I believed that God could do it, and then he didn't, so why should I keep believing? And if you, if you took that survey, if you asked all those pastors, they would tell you they've seen it over and over again. 
where people have walked away from faith because they felt like God wasn't listening or he wasn't answering prayer. That's how much it matters that we understand a passage like this. People's eternities are literally hanging in the balance here just just when it comes to understanding these these verses. So let's go to that second step, a step further, and, and, and try to translate Scripture with Scripture, try to look at what else the Bible says about prayer. And if we dig very deep, what becomes clear is that there are very specific things that matter to God when it comes to our prayers. Four things, in fact. The first thing that matters is relationships. Relationships matter when it comes to prayer. Mark chapter 11, verses 24 and 25 says this, I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. You see, it sounds a lot like the John passage, but there's this little qualifier that shows us that our relationships matter to God. It's like, God, I want a new car. Like, I really want a new car. In Jesus' name, I pray for a new car. But I also hate my boss. Just want to make sure you understand that, God. But I'll still take the new car. And I know that that's a silly example, but guess what? No car. Because relationships matter to God. It's like being a parent. Uh, The kids aren't getting along at all, which never happens in my house, but I've heard that that happens sometimes. The kids aren't getting along at all, and no one one wants to to be the one to make it any better, so they just keep fighting. And then one wants to do something special or have a special treat or something like that. And and what do you say as a parent? You say, not until you're getting along. Not until everyone's behaving. And I feel like that's kind of how God views our prayers here. I understand what you want, but fix it your relationships first. 1 Peter 3.7 affirms this even more for us. You've probably heard this passage as it applies to husbands and wives. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. And husbands, you've probably heard this in the room heard this verse before, wives, you may have read it to him um, or strategically highlighted it in his Bible or left a copy of it on his pillow. Um, But I'm not sure we always pay attention to the last sentence. So your prayers will not be hindered. And clearly relationships matter to God and they matter when it comes to our prayer lives. Secondly, our motives matter to God. James 4.3 says this, And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Wrong motives. You know, I would say that it's pretty prevalent today that we, we pray with wrong motives, but it was pretty prevalent back then as well. Um, the Pharisees regularly prayed with the wrong motives. These were the religious leaders. These were the guys that knew the law of God like the back of their hand, and they regularly prayed with the wrong motive. Usually it was one specific motive, to be seen. Jesus tells a story about this in Luke, about a Pharisee and a tax collector. Love this story. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 10, it says, Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven, 
as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Our motives matter. Can you imagine calling someone out in your prayer? There's no reason to do that except I want to feel better than everybody else and everybody think I'm awesome. The, the motive was questionable and it matters. And for us, even though we may not like to admit it more times than, than we would certainly like to admit, our motives are questionable when it comes to our prayers. Proverbs in, in, verse, in chapter 16, verse 2 says this, People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. You see, even though we don't always realize how bad our motives are in certain situations, God sees how we function. He knows what's behind our words. And so just like the relationships matter, the motives matter as well. Thirdly, our, our faith matters to God. Back to James chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says this, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Have you ever prayed a half-hearted prayer? I know that I have, so my, my assumption is you have too. When we do that, when our prayers are half-hearted, how strong is our faith? How strong is our belief that what we're praying for will happen? If, if it's only half-hearted, it's not very strong. And in those times, should we really be surprised or upset or offended that our prayer wasn't answered exactly how we wanted it to be. Our faith, believing that what we're asking for can actually happen, the way that it's expressed in prayers, it matters whether we realize it or not. You know, we talked just a few weeks ago about the story when two blind men came to Jesus and, and they asked him to have mercy on them. And as Jesus touched the blind men's eyes, he, he said these very simple words in, in 929. So then he touched their eyes and said, because of your faith, it will happen. Faith matters. Believing that what you're asking God to do is possible matters. And so at this point, if you're still tracking with me, you can come to this conclusion. If my relationships are good, and my motives are pure, and if I have enough faith, then God has to do whatever I ask Him to do. Now if you believe that, what happens is we slip into something that most people would call prosperity gospel. Other people have referred to it as, as name it, claim it. I want that car in Jesus' name. That car will be mine. I don't have a job. I don't want a job. But in Jesus' name, that car will be mine. And suddenly we're back to praying for the lottery win in Jesus' name, and we're expecting it to happen. There are entire churches, entire belief systems that this is one of the bedrocks of what they believe. And I'm not necessarily trying to speak ill of these churches, but this is dangerous stuff. And I get the draw. I absolutely get the draw. Because it sounds great. It sounds fantastic. It's like God's behind the speaker in the drive-thru, and you drive up, and you get what you order. Actually, that's a, that's a terrible example, because how many times do you actually get what you order when you go to a fast food restaurant? But it's like God's a genie in a bottle. And you have unlimited wishes. As long as you say in Jesus' name, you get whatever you want, it sounds wonderful. I mean, a lot of churches have singles life groups. Imagine how this would work in a singles life group. 
New girl walks in. Which single guy can claim her first? Because if he claims her in Jesus' name, she's his. Right? Like, there, there's good application there. But that's essentially what people believe. There are people that believe this. And honestly, the, the, one of the biggest problems I have with this is, is how little God has to do with it when that's the, what they believe happens. Because who, who claims it? I claim it. I name it and I claim it. I get what I want. And yes, I said it in Jesus' name, but it's all about me. But remember, I said there were four things we needed to understand about what matters to God when it comes to our prayer. Here's the fourth, and this is the one that I think sometimes is forgotten, that God's will matters. His will, His his sovereign nature, that He is overall, His goodness, His character, His eternal plan. God's will matters. Remember our original verses that John wrote about being able to have anything you pray in Jesus' name? Well, the same John wrote these words in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. He said this, he said, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask for anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, that phrase makes all the difference in the world. We can't just ask God for whatever we want and then demand that He do for us. That makes us God, not Him God. But it's not supposed to be according to our will. It's supposed to be according to His will. And when we factor in that understanding that God's will, God's plan is that important, I think it helps us view our verses today a little bit more realistically. And here's what it really shows us. This is something we have to understand. There are things that we could ask God for that are not in line with His will. And when we ask for those things, it makes no sense for us to expect them to be done. It reminds me of the the movie Bruce Almighty, where Jim Carrey's character takes over for God for a while. He fills in as God. And one of the main things he struggles with in this movie is how to deal with prayers. Because it starts off and he just hears everybody's prayers. And it's like this overwhelming, you know, millions of voices in his head kind of thing. And so then he tries to use file cabinets. And his apartment just fills up with so many file cabinets, you, the floor, there's no way the floor would support it. And, and that's not a good idea. And so then he says, prayer post-its. And post-its just cover everything, including him and the dog. And it's not a good idea. And, and what he finally decides is that the best way that he can organize prayer is via email. And he works hard to get through as many requests as possible. And when he's done, there's even more than when he started. And so he decides to do a very very dangerous thing, he replies all with the word, yes. And the world basically falls apart because people have asked for, for contradictory things and too many people have prayed for winning a lottery ticket and so everyone has to split the winnings and everybody gets like six bucks. And yet if we believe, name it, claim it theology, if we believe prosperity gospel, then everyone gets what they want. But that movie, as much as it's a movie, is ultimately what would end up happening. If you and I want contradictory things, and we ask for those things in the name of Jesus, who gets what they want? Who gets what they want? And that's the whole 
issue. It's not about what we want. It's about God's will. It has to be about God first. And we have to understand that when we pray in the name of Jesus, it's a gift. It's a privilege. We have access to the creator of the universe because Jesus gave us permission. Because of what Jesus did on the cross and in the grave, he gives us the right to speak to God, a right that we don't really deserve to have. And when we see it that way, when we realize that using the name of Jesus is a massive responsibility, then his name, that his name isn't just the key that unlocks the door to get me what I want. It's he who made it possible for us to even approach God. And because of that, we need to approach in a way that honors him, that shows humility, not approach in an expectant way that I need to get what I want from God or an arrogant way. What tends to happen is that we, we, we pray and sometimes God does a miracle. And we pray and sometimes it doesn't go like we want it to. And what's so, so sad is that too many people walk away from God because God didn't do exactly what they wanted Him to do. We've all had a loved one become ill at some point. It's almost certainly a shared experience for every person in this room. And sometimes we pray and we pray. Every day we pray. Every day we pray for God to heal that person. And every day that person remains ill, maybe even gets worse. And we'll pray every day that God will do a miracle, that God will put just the right doctor in their path, that that they will be healed. And personally, I can tell you, when I pray that, I, I believe that God can heal the person. And if he today he doesn't, I'll still pray that tomorrow. And I will still believe that he can heal that person. And even if he continues to not heal them, I will still believe that he can and will. But even if he doesn't, I still believe because my faith in God does not rest on what he does or does not do for me. My faith in God rests on what Jesus already did for me on the cross and in that now empty tomb. That happens. So why should I waver? If prayer is only a tool for me to get what I want, that's an insult to God. Imagine going to your father and only ever asking for things. Dad, give me this. Dad, give me that. Dad, do this for me. If we do that, we're basically asking our father to be our servant. God is not our servant. We are his servants. If God doesn't do what we want him to do, that doesn't lessen who he is. And therefore, it shouldn't wreck my faith because my faith is not based on God doing what I demand for him to do. My faith is based on his love for me when he sent Jesus to give his life for me. Here's what it really comes down to. The purpose of God answering my prayers isn't so I get what I want, a better life, your best life now. The purpose of God answering prayers is so that He gets the glory. The reason I pray is not to get Him to do what I want. It's to submit my will to what He wants. I don't know what's best for me all the time or the people in my life. I don't always know what to pray for. But the reason we pray is to submit our will to what He wants. Your will be done, God, on earth as it is in heaven. With that understanding, I hope that our faith can be built on what God did for us and not what He could do for us. I hope that in light of that, we can still pray for big things and hope and believe that God can and will do so much in our lives. We should be praying for miracles. We should be praying for big things. 
for God to use us in great ways. But even when we pray for miracles and they don't come through, even when we pray for something huge and we don't feel like He answered the way we wanted, I pray that we will still believe because our faith doesn't rest on God doing what we tell Him to do. I pray that our faith will rest on His goodness, on the empty tomb, on the fact that Jesus died and rose again so we can live. That's why we put our faith in Him. And it's with that faith that we pray. Let's pray together. God, we don't always know what to say to you. And really, when we think about what prayer is, when we think about who, who we're communicating with when we pray together, it, it, it can be intimidating. But God, I pray that, that, that we wouldn't stop seeing it as a privilege. And God, I pray that, that if, if, if we're going to pray things like, your will be done, I pray that we would mean that, that we trust you to guide our lives that we trust you if there's something that we want or something that we ask for that we shouldn't have. We trust that you'll do what's right for us. God, so many people think that that this life is all there is. And so in this life, everything just needs to be amazing and I need to have everything and all this stuff. And God, I, I pray that we wouldn't forget that there is so much beyond this life. And that what you have that's best for us, what you want that's best for us is is eternal. Eternal life with you. God, I pray that you'd forgive us when we're selfish with our prayers. Forgive us when when we're mad when when we don't feel like you answer. Help us to realize that you have what's best for us at heart. And I pray you'd help us to focus as we continue in our service together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.